Ate it. Good morning. I need to apologize because uh, a couple weeks ago when I was here, I forgot the story. And so today, um, I have to make it up and tell two Hagen stories. So first off, I'm gonna go ahead and tell one now. Um, and this might be the only one I tell today just for the sake of time. If you ever wanna see your president nervous, look at him right now. I'll get there in a minute, I want him to sit. Okay, so my information is up on the screen. Um, if you wanna connect with me, I have had a ch just such a fun time being on campus with you guys, with the faculty and the staff here, but definitely with all of you guys. And so thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to Dr. Graham and the team and everyone for the invitation and uh, all of the professors who've let me have their time to talk and to share with you and answer questions and have great conversations in your classes. I really appreciate that and I would love to continue those conversations. So feel free to reach out to me. I also have uh, my cards that I'll put up here at the end of the service today that say it doesn't snow in San Francisco. So it's real pretty right now, but we all know in two months it ain't going to be pretty anymore. And so uh, if you'd like to come and work in a climate that might be very expensive but never gets below 40, give me a call. My girls are here, I have five kids, and so two of them are here, and I am gonna make you stand up. So this is Jada. So Jada's um, my eighth grader, she's about to be 14, and then Aja is 10 years old. She is a fifth grader right now, so next year I will um, have kids in elementary, middle, and high school. Yay, it's gonna be fun. All right, my Hagen story. We, were, um, we worked together for eight and a half years in local church ministry, and uh, when we first began that journey, uh, we didn't really know each other very well because yeah, I did marry his nephew, but he didn't even really know my husband as an adult. He knew him as a teenager and somebody who had crashed on their couch one summer and you know, eaten all their food and spent all of their dial-up internet time talking to his girlfriend that was interning in Boston at the time. And uh, so we had to get to know each other, learn our personalities, the likes, the differences, the lines that you can cross, the lines that you can't cross, and all of those conversations. And so once upon a time, he is not looking at me right now. Once upon a time, we were in a meeting and a line was crossed. Now, we are both, uh, we both speak fluent sarcasm. And so we could say a lot to one another after years of a great working relationship together. But a line was crossed one day. And so afterwards, I said to Pastor Scott, um, yeah, that one, mm -mm, that wasn't okay. Uh, if you were just the boss, you definitely wouldn't have gotten away with that. But since you can play the uncle card, we'll let it slide. And he looked at me for a minute and said, okay, I hear you, but I think we both need to admit something. Yes, this started out as an uncle and a niece, but somewhere along the way, it became a brother and a sister. 
I was gonna tell this in October because of pastor appreciation, but thank you. Thank you for your willingness to allow me to be your peer and to not just come behind, but to stand alongside. I experience mentorship that many women in ministry don't get to have because you are willing to do that. And that was incredibly valuable to the rest of my life and to all of the men and women that I in turn mentor. So thank you for allowing me to be a sister. That's my story today. All right. Now we're gonna turn this into the awkward thing because I'm gonna do that weird evangelist thing where you preach this weird random story and make everybody else uncomfortable in the room. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter five. Watch how fast this room can get weird. When all of the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear. Because of them, we just sang that song. It's super victorious, awesome. Verse two. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. I'll give you a second, gentlemen. So, Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel, Gilbeath, Haraloth. I have no idea how to actually say that, but I can tell you what it translates to. Anybody know? Hill of foreskins. Verse four. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. Does it sound to you like they're trying to convince themselves why this was a good idea? Because over and over again, they're like, see, they died, they had been circumcised, the new generation, they weren't because the new generation wasn't circumcised because they'd been in there for 40 years and they are going around and around in this argument. Verse seven, so Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places for they had not been circumcised on their way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, how many times do you wanna say this? They rested in the camp until they were healed. Verse nine, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. And that is not what all of those guys were thinking. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Praise the Lord, we have changed the name. Verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. 
Y'all, they have been eating White Castle, and now they are finally getting an in-and-out, double-double animal style. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so in Numbers 14, it tells us that the age of the fighting men, they would have been about 20 and older. Okay? Um, ladies, lest any of us think that this would have been a, like, grab a bag of frozen peas, you'll get over it. This is actually a rather serious situation because... We learn in Genesis 34 that after the rape of Dinah, her brothers had used a strategy that is eerily similar to this in order to slaughter an entire people group, where they convinced the men of the community to be circumcised and while they were all recouping, killed them. So they absolutely know that not only is this a temporarily painful situation, they are putting themselves as an entire people group into a very vulnerable position. And since circumcision was practiced regularly in Egypt where they had been, other um, West Semitic people, it, it, this would not have been the most uncommon thing in these cultures. So a lot of times we talk about circumcision in the Old Testament as a way that they were different and set apart, but where they were at the time and where they had just been, it wasn't all that different. So why, oh why, oh why, gentlemen, can I get any amens? Oh why did they do this? Things we see as painful may just be a proving ground. I, I mean, I really don't wanna say a hill of foreskins again. Like, that's just gross every single time I say it. I'm sorry. And that's probably why this is the only time that that phrase appears in the Bible. The rest of the time, this is Gilgal. Okay, 40 other times in the Bible, that is what they call it. They are about to step into their destiny. They are about to possess land promised to generations before them, but never experienced by the generations before them. And they realize if they're going to do something the generations before them had not done, they needed to do something the generation before them had not taught them to do. You guys, you are not responsible for your parents' disobedience. But you are responsible for your obedience. Getting right what your parents got wrong doesn't fix their transgressions, it establishes your trajectory. This wasn't, well, we all should have been circumcised so we're gonna make up for it now and all the guys are gonna get circumcised. Because that, was, that decision had been done, that generation was gone. You can't fix what those mistakes, those mistakes that were previously made, what they could do is establish their own practices. They could establish their own integrity. They could establish their own systems of worship and consecration and obedience and what they were gonna do and how they were gonna do it. See, it turns out reparations and preparations should probably be more synonymous than we might think. Because the significance of the circumcision of Joshua's generation, when you compare it to who was reading the book of Joshua in the story of why did they have to explain it and say it over and over and awkwardly over again, 
was that hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, future generations later, they would be in exile in Babylon. And that was the setting where this made them different. That was the setting where they were set apart. That was the setting where they needed the tradition to be obedience, to be taught, to be handed down. They were not making up for someone else. They were getting ready for someone else. There are battles in your next chapters, just like there were in theirs. There are victories in your next chapters, just like there were in theirs. There are choices for unity or for division in the days to follow, just like there were for theirs. There are decisions about covenant and about worship and about national identity for future generations, just like there were in theirs. And then there is also this. Exodus 3, chapter four and five. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, if you didn't skip chapel the first time I was here, you remember us talking about that verse. And if you didn't skip chapel a couple weeks ago when I was here, you might remember these. Where you learned and we discussed recognizing a call of God on your life that you might not have seen anywhere else. And you came up to these mirrors and you took the pens and then you wrote things that you felt God was calling you to do and like Joshua, taking control and stepping into leadership roles, you needed to hear, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous. And then, wait, did I, did I read you guys the wrong passage? I mean, that was Moses. That was his experience with God. That was his miracle. The whole burning bush, talking thing. Go back to Joshua chapter five, verse 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. God had promised Joshua, I will be with you the same way I was with Moses. I will make you a great leader among the people just like I did with Moses. Be strong, be courageous, step out, start a movement, do it differently. 
be strong, be courageous, do things that don't seem to make sense. And because he did that, Joshua was then able to step into a level of engagement with the holy that he had heard about from Moses, but he had never experienced for himself. Nor central. You are not limited by the consequences of others, and you are not limited to the stories of others. You get to take these. You get to start your own path. You get to do something very differently than you've seen or heard about or understood. And when you do it, you get to encounter the holy. You get to encounter the holy God. You get to experience God yourself, not the way that the stories or the history books talk about Pentecost, not the way that your grandma or your grandpa who kneeled and prayed every night by the bed so that you would be sitting here one day. You get to experience the holy God who you've heard about physically healing others. You can have a physical healing. You don't get to just hear about the weird people who speak in tongues. You can be baptized to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and you can speak in tongues. You can have an angelic, who knows, exactly what it was encounter where you understand I'm gonna take off my shoes, I'm gonna kneel down and I'm gonna prostrate myself in front of this because I am encountering God and this is holy ground. You get to do this. Encounter him. Do you realize the very reason that you can do different things and achieve different things than the generations before us have is because the God you serve is the same? He is still just as powerful as every story you have heard. He is still just as powerful as he was for Joshua. He is still just as powerful and personal as he was for Moses. He is the same so you can do it differently. So encounter him. Spend time in his presence. Learn about the holy ground yourself. And by all means, please understand what the new covenant says about true circumcision. (laughs) It is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit and a person with a changed heart, seeks praise from God and not from people. Dr. Graham's gonna come in a moment, but just in silence and in stillness, will you stand with me for a moment? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Doesn't make it more spiritual, it's just less distracting. What has God called you to do? Do you know? Do you not know? That's okay. The call of God is a weird, complicated thing that I spent years trying to figure out. Still not sure I get it all. 
I do know what the will of God is for my life and that that's an eternal life with him. So what I do between now and then is just make sure that everybody I meet knows that the will of God for their life is eternity with him. In between, we have a lot of choices, a lot of decisions we get to make, a lot of consequences from other people that tend to hold us back, a lot of things that maybe your parents should have taught you, but they didn't, a lot of things where you need to be the first generation to do it again. But you can, you can, because God is the same. He is just as good. He is just as great. And he would say to you, do not fear. Be courageous. Do not fear. Be courageous. He split the sea so you could walk right through it. You are a child of God. Will you lean into that identity? Will you step into obedience? Will you do it differently? And will you be willing to bow down and recognize when you're on holy ground? Father, I thank you for these students. I thank you for my new friendships. I thank you for the faculty and the staff that I have heard their heart for this campus and this community. I thank you for what you are doing at North Central and how you are training and how you are leading and how you are guiding and how you are calling people to make movements happen, to change the world in the marketplace and to minister the gospel. Bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, North Central. Sure, yeah.